Our text this Lord's Day comes from Matthew chapter 6 as we continue our study in the Sermon on the Mount and in Matthew's Gospel. Hear now the words of your Savior. In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this prayer that our Savior taught us. We pray that we would grow into a right understanding of how we must approach your throne of grace to bring you our petitions and prayers and thanksgivings and praises. Teach us to pray. As uh, the Lord's disciples asked him, we ask you the same question. Father, today, teach us to pray in these words uh, from your son. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Every culture has its own unique rules of etiquette. Every culture has unwritten, unspoken rules for how you are to greet someone, how you address someone you don't know, how to respectfully refer to someone who is your senior or your superior. Do you bow? Do you shake hands? How much physical contact is acceptable? Can you put your hand on someone's arm or your hand on top of their hand when you shake hands? Uh, how much eye contact is expected? How close do you stand to another person when you're talking? How loudly or how quietly should you speak? How quickly or how slowly should you speak? What is appropriate behavior when you're in someone's home? What do you do when you get there? What do you do when you leave? What do you do if someone gives you a gift uh, at the door? When you come to someone's house, do you keep your shoes on or do you take them off? There are signs and gestures and phrases that open up conversations and, and phrases that end one. And though there's no authoritative universal list of these rules inscribed anywhere, if you're an insider in the culture, you know when someone has broken one of those rules. And you know how uncomfortable it is when you're in a setting, when you're an outsider and you have a sense, I don't know the rules of this environment. I don't know the rules of this society. I'm not familiar with the etiquette. I'm very out of place. When it comes to praying, I suspect that's the very same feeling that many of us have. We feel like we're in a foreign country when we pray. We, it seems like we're in a different culture. We, we don't know what's expected of us. We don't know when it's appropriate to stand up or sit or to leave our hat on or to, or to take it off. We can be very self-conscious when praying, especially when praying in public, when leading other people in prayer. And we worry about saying the right things and using the right words. You ever get the feeling that you're just not doing it right? You ever get the feeling that the words are there, you just can't pull them up, you can't say them? As if you've never quite gotten the hang of prayer. Even though you've been a Christian for many years, prayer is still this very strange territory. Well, if you say yes to that, you are in good company. 
The Apostle Paul himself admitted in Romans 8, Paul said, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. Paul says, I, I'm not even, I don't even have this down. There are times where, where all I can do is groan, he says in, in Romans 8. It's never assumed in the scriptures that prayer comes naturally or that prayer just it comes easily. Luke tells us in his gospel that John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. And these are men and women who had grown up in Israel. They'd grown up with the Psalms. They'd grown up in the temple liturgies. And yet John the Baptist teaches them how to pray. And then the apostles come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Uh, they had seen, the apostles had seen Jesus rise up early and go away and pray, and that Jesus would spend whole nights in prayer. They surely must have been thinking, what does he say when he's out there all night? What does he say when he's up there on the mountain all morning? How does he pray? I'm sure they would have said the same thing we do many times, and that is, I, I pray for a few minutes, and it feels like I've run out of words. I, I, I don't know what else to say. How do, you, how do you spend so much time? How does the Lord spend so much time in prayer? And then so they said, Lord, teach us how to pray the way, that, the way that you pray. I think it would be good for all of us to just admit that prayer is hard work. It doesn't look like hard work from the outside. It looks like you're just, you've got your eyes closed, you've got your hands folded, you're in a position or posture of prayer. It doesn't appear to be hard work, but it is immensely difficult to do it well, to do it comfortably, to do it effortlessly. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, many of you are familiar with him, the Welsh Calvinist preacher, he wrote, everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. I don't think he's overstating things when he says that. Prayer is the ultimate test of who we are. Prayer is the metric of our maturity in Christ. It's the metric of, our, of the maturity of our faith. There's, there's nothing that reveals or exposes our spiritual health so much as prayer. We are who we are in prayer. There's no duplicity. There's no deception. There's no pretense when we stand before God and open our hearts and minds to communicate with our creator because he knows us better than we know ourselves. He's more ready to hear us than we are ready to speak. And there's nowhere to hide in prayer. There's nowhere to hide before the face of God. Uh, another one of the difficulties with prayer is, is not only, you know, what, what do we say, but, but prayer it, it requires intense focus and mental discipline against distraction. And it's increasingly difficult to put away distractions from our mind. We're so used to exchanging information with someone else. When we're reading a book or we're listening to audio or watching a movie or watching a video, we're getting input. We're getting input all the time. Everything screams at us, pay attention to me. We're getting input and we're interacting with the material. We're thinking about what we're reading or watching or listening to. Prayer feels like half a conversation. It feels like we're just talking and there's no one listening. It's all output and there's no input. Well. There is another half of that conversation. The other half of the conversation comes through the written word. It comes through the preaching and the sacraments and the testimony of the Holy Spirit. And it comes through the communion of saints. But when we are in prayer, in that moment, God is not audibly speaking to us. 
And that's weird. It's strange. It's uncomfortable. It makes us uneasy. It's hard to focus our attention. So how do we overcome our discomfort with prayer? Where do we learn the rules of etiquette in this foreign country? And how do we develop a great deep level of comfort with praying? Well, for starters, the Lord has given us a prayer. And what's so great about this prayer is that not only does it guide us through the uncharted territory of the mystery of prayer, but we find that when we study it and we consider each one of the petitions, each one of the phrases of this prayer, that praying well is, is not something that's just reserved for the uber pious. I mean, not just for the super Christian or those with lots of letters after their name. The prayer that Jesus gives us is very earthly. It's, a, it's an incarnate prayer. It's a prayer that takes spiritual things and relates them to the commonalities of life. Effective prayer can be offered by every man and woman. Effective prayer can be offered by every plain, hardworking, flesh and blood human. And that's not to say that it's simple. That's not to say that it's easy. It is difficult, but it's not so lofty and inaccessible an activity that we think, well, we must be very special to do it well. You do difficult things all the time, and you grow in difficult things, and you learn how to do difficult things and master skills so we can grow into comfort in the territory of prayer. So let's hear what the Lord has to say about this today, and we'll consider each line from the prayer that he taught us. Of course, this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, comes in the Sermon on the Mount, and in the section we looked at last week, he is admonishing the public pious performances of the Pharisees, they want everybody to know their almsgiving. They want everyone to see them pray. They want to announce to the world when they're fasting. Over and over, Jesus says, if you do these things before an audience of men to get their notice, you have your reward. There's no spiritual power. There's no benefit to doing your acts of devotion in front of other men to be seen by men. And then when Jesus talks about prayer, he also focuses on the, the, the silly practices of the pagans, the polytheists. The polytheists, the pagans, have these complicated magic formulas, these incantations that they anxiously repeat over and over, hoping that some god or goddess would hear them and that this god would cast some crumbs of favor in their direction. The, the prayers of the pagans are always shrouded in uncertainty. The prayers of unbelievers are always shrouded in uncertainty. But, but specifically, the, the prayers of the polytheists uh, are directed to so many divine beings in their, in their theology. There's so many divine beings in their world, you don't know which one you need to pacify. You don't know which one might show you favor. What formula of prayer, what magic words do you need to use to get their attention? So you think you will be heard by your many words and your repetition. So Jesus uh, exhorted his people not to use those kinds of formulas, not many words or vain repetition. The pagans say, oh, Baal, hear us. Oh, Baal, hear us. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Or Hail Mary, full of grace, which is just as much a, a vain repetition as those other prayers directed to someone else other than God. Jesus says, don't be like them. Don't be like the pagans. Don't be like the polytheists. For your Father in heaven knows the things you have need of before you ask them. What does he mean? He's saying, you don't have to awaken your Father in heaven. You don't need to get his attention. 
He's already watching you. He's already listening to you. Before you pay attention to him, his eye is on you. You don't need to invoke his presence. Some public gatherings begin with a prayer called an invocation, as if we need to invoke God's attention or to summon God to come visit us. Now, if you use that word invocation in a program, and uh, I'm not necessarily saying uh, that, that that's a bad word, I think there's a, a way that that might be okay. Well, what, what, what I'm cautioning against and what I'm, what I'm opposing is this idea that we have to invite God's presence or stir up his attention to get him to come look at us. Many years ago, I was in a, um, in a group of churches look, doing some community outreach and various pastors were there. And this one, this one guy kept saying, you know, we need to invite God into what we're doing. We need to, we need to ask God to show up here. We need, to, uh, we need to call on God to join with us. He kept using phrases like that. And eventually I had to correct him and say, you know, uh, God is not somewhere far away. He's not on a desert island somewhere. And we have to wake him up. We don't have to bang pots and pans to get him to show up here. He is here right now. He is listening. Uh, Jesus said his father is present and he knows what's going on with you before you can even begin to pray. So with that understanding that our Father is ready to hear, Jesus gives us this framework, this outline of a prayer that we may use for our own prayer. Now, the prayer that Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount, we pray it together every Lord's Day. And um, we, we sing it and we get that continual reminder, that practice for what we ought to be praying for and how, how to pray. And throughout your lives, you're not obligated to use those identical words every time you pray, but this prayer is the scaffolding that you build your prayers off of. If you have it in front of you, I want you to notice how it's built. There is an address, our Father in heaven. That's who we're directing our prayers to. There are six petitions. We ask for six things there, and then it closes with a doxology, a little, a little hymn of praise. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So we direct our prayers to the Father. We make six petitions, and then we close with a short hymn of praise. First, Jesus teaches us to address our prayers to his Father. And he includes us in this. He says, come join me in praising and praying to my father. I love when uh, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene in the garden after the resurrection. He says, don't hold on to me. What does he say? I'm going to my father and to your father. I am ascending to my God and to your God. Through the sacrifice, death, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, his father is our father. By his work, he has brought us into a relationship with his father. And then based on our union with Jesus, we can, we can call on the creator of the universe and call him father. Now, it's only through Jesus that we have this kind of access and relationship to the father. Only those who are united to Jesus by faith can with confidence say our father. God is not the father of all mankind in the way that he is our father. God is the creator of all mankind. All men have life from him. So um, in Acts 17, when Paul is preaching at the, the, the pagan temple, Paul quotes a, a pagan philosopher uh, who says, we are all his offspring. Well, 
all men are God's offspring in the sense that God has given life to all men in the world. But the Lord Jesus draws a sharp distinction between those who belong to God, those who can call him father, and those who do not belong to him. Jesus says, no man comes to the father except through me. I'm the only way. I'm the only truth. I'm the only life. Come through me. To the unbelieving Jews, Jesus says, your father's who? Who's your father? He says, you're, you're of your father, the devil. So this is a unique relationship to God that Jesus invites us into. Jesus makes this possible by introducing us into this intimate covenant with his father. And he invites us to address his father as our father. And, and by the way, our father, and we see that there is uh, our and us, uh, our debts, uh, forgive us, do not lead us into temptation. This is written to be a corporate prayer. This is written to be uh, a congregational prayer. We pray this together, which is why we use it on the Lord's Day. It's good for group settings as well. So the Lord Jesus says, first direct your prayers to my Father. You can call him Father. And after instructing us where to direct our prayers, then he gives us these six petitions, six requests. The first three have to do with the glory and the kingdom and the will of God. The second three have to do with our needs and necessities. The first three all have to do with God's glory, his will, his kingdom. The second three have to do with us. You know how the Ten Commandments are arranged similarly, right? The first table of the Ten Commandments, the first five commandments, all deal with our vertical relationships right worship of God, right use of his name, obedience to the authorities that he has put over us. The first table of the law deals with vertical relationships. The, the second five commandments, the second table of the law, have to deal with horizontal relationships, uh, how we treat our neighbor, how we love our brother, how we love his life, how we respect his marriage, how we respect his property. That's the, the, the final five commandments. The Lord's Prayer follows a similar outline. First, in the first three petitions, we orient ourselves in relationship to God's holiness, his kingdom, his will, and then we make requests that, that, that are grounded in our needs. So the Lord's Prayer follows that same outline. There's also possibly, I, I, I'm convinced there's a Trinitarian structure to these two groups of three. The first three petitions are, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The first petition is directed to the Father. The second one regards the work of the Son. The third petition deals with the Spirit. So, uh, your, uh, hallowed be your name, we're, we're praying to the Father, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We are praying that our Father's name be revered, that he would be recognized and worshipped in his holiness. We, the, the first petition has to do with the Father. The second petition, your kingdom come, draws us to the work of the Son as king and the spread of his reign. The third petition, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, points us to the work of the Spirit. The Spirit is always engaged in creation, in recreation, in reformation, in introducing order to the chaos. And so the first three petitions deal with the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then the second three petitions apply the work of the whole triune God to our lives. First, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's a petition to the good Father who gives his sons bread and not stones. And Jesus said, my father gives you the true bread 
from heaven. Psalm 103 praises our merciful Father who satisfies our mouth with good things. So the first, give us this day our daily bread, seems to be the work of uh, and and a request of the Father to give us bread. The second uh, petition in that second group, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, directs us to the work of the Son, the Son who paid our debt, the Son who reconciles us to God. The the third petition of this group, do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, is a prayer for the Spirit's work of leading and guiding and guarding us through this world of temptation and dangers and illuminating our way. So once again, uh, in the second group of petitions, we address those to the work of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this is a prayer that aligns us with all of the Godhead. It aligns us with all that God is doing in every part of his dominion, and it brings all of the Godhead into every part of our lives, into every dimension of our being. Prayer is not about bending God's will to our desires. Prayer is about submitting every part of our whole being to the will of God. And this is established in this prayer that we're rejoicing in all that the triune God has done and is doing in the cosmos. And then we're asking for all of those blessings to be imparted to us and to our life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And this is established right off the bat with the first petition. So with our few remaining minutes, we're going to look at uh, these six petitions, spending just a moment on each one. The first petition, hallowed be your name. That's a prayer. Hallowed be your name. Your name is holy, God. Your character is right and holy. You are always upright. You are always just. I want your name to be hallowed in all the earth. I want your name to be revered. I want your name to be honored and worshiped and praised in my life. I want my lips and my eyes and my mouth and my hands and my feet. I want my mind to hallow you in everything, to to acknowledge you as holy and to live before your holiness. The aim of my life is that I don't do or say or think anything apart from considering what glory that brings to you or how I might be grateful to you. I want your name to be hallowed in my family. I want your name to be revered and honored and worshiped in the church. I want your name to be hallowed in the world. I want your name to be hallowed in the Supreme Court and in Congress and in the White House, and in the governor's mansion, and in the state capitol. I want your name to be hallowed in Hollywood. I want your name to be hallowed on Wall Street. I want your name to be hallowed on the internet. I want everything and every creature and every person and all of creation to hallow your name. That is, to see and acknowledge you as holy and good and right and just. And I want you to be worshiped that your goodness made me acknowledge throughout all of the cosmos. That's what we're praying. Hallowed be your name. Everywhere and always that your name be hallowed. You can't genuinely pray this prayer and maintain that we can hold out some little territories of neutrality anywhere in this world. All things everywhere, all institutions, all governments, all spheres of human life must explicitly acknowledge and worship their creator or they're going to be piled on the great trash heap of history. That's, those are the only two options. You either, you, you either acknowledge and hallow God or you are destroyed. The only eternal things are things that hallow the name of our Father in heaven, that acknowledge him as holy, that revere him and worship him. That's the first petition. That's just 
uh, a heart that overflows with praise and desire for God's name to be worshipped and honored everywhere. The second petition is your kingdom come. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come is the second petition. Building our, our desire that, that God the Father be acknowledged and that he be worshipped, we pray that he may be obeyed. In, your, in, in the petition, your kingdom come, we, we're expressing our longing for the rule of Christ to be manifested over all things and that the reign of his kingdom might be extended over all the authorities and all the empires of men. Whose law are we going to follow? Whose word is going to be established? Who gets to, de to determine uh, authoritatively what is right and what is wrong? What is permitted? What is prohibited? The prayer for his kingdom to come is a prayer that Jesus will reign, that Jesus will reign over everything. You know, in one sense, his kingdom has already come. Jesus announced his kingdom during his earthly ministry, and then he left it to his church to disciple the nations. He commissioned his church to, to bring the nations under his rule to obey him. And this is a prayer that that ongoing work would continue to be successful. Now, once again, it's, it's still bewildering to me that there are professing Christians who think that's a bad thing or think that's an unhelpful thing, that it's wrong to want the Lord Jesus to be honored and obeyed in the public sphere, that, that, that it's wrong to think that Jesus should be obeyed by public institutions, that, that we would want God's laws to be the laws of the land. I, I don't get it. Why would any professing Christian oppose that? Uh, just take, take a moment and think, what laws do you want? Who is your lawgiver? Where do those laws come from? You, you really only have two choices, God's law or madness. And, and uh, our world has chosen the madness. That's the one we've checked. That's the box we selected. We want the madness and we're reaping the consequences. In this second petition, your kingdom come, we pray for Christ to reign over our world. The third petition is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's just the logical consequence of the first and second petition. If God is worshiped and Jesus is obeyed, then earth is going to run like heaven. Heaven's values and heaven's priorities becomes earth's values and priorities. In heaven, God is worshiped perpetually. In heaven, God is obeyed perfectly. Everything in heaven consciously brings glory to God. Every creature delights to do his bidding. Our deepest desire when we pray this prayer is that that would happen on earth, that heaven and earth become one, that the world would be completely transformed and all the evil is swept out of it. Now, we believe that this prayer will be answered with a resounding yes, that when we pray, uh, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that God will say, yes, that is what is going to happen. We do expect that. We do not expect that the Lord Jesus loses on earth or that he loses in history. The earth is not headed for incineration, but glorification. The old world and the elements of the old world have already been burned up. They've been burned up in judgment. The old world of the old covenant has already passed away. But this new creation that begins with the new covenant, the, the creation that, that's inaugurated with the resurrection of Jesus, this is the creation that will see the marriage of heaven and earth. So Jesus nor his bride are going to suffer defeat 
on earth in history, but he will be victorious. All the kingdoms of the world will become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. Uh, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. If you don't believe that, how can you pray this petition? How can you say your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Do you say that? Do you pray your will be done on earth as it is in heaven? But I know that that's not actually going to happen. I know it's not going to happen, but I'm going to pray it anyway because you told us to pray it. How, do, you, do you say it with a shrug? Do you say, eh, uh, maybe, maybe, somehow, in some spiritual sense, maybe? No, we don't say it with crossed fingers. We don't say it haltingly. We, we don't say it. Uh, with, uh, uh, you know, with doubt, we shout it in faith and confidence that his will will most certainly be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is our prayer. Now, this fourth petition, now we've done three petitions that deal with God's kingdom, his name, his kingdom, his will. The first three petitions all have to do with God's sovereignty over creation and his work in it, the, the next three all have to do with our needs and our relationships. The fourth petition is, give us this day our daily bread. And so the Lord's Prayer is not so consumed with these visions of the future of the cosmos that, that we forget the physical daily needs of human life. We pray for our bread. We need bread because God created us to eat. He didn't create us with photosynthesis or to absorb nutrients from the environment around us. Uh, we don't... We don't eat by just osmosis. We don't stand next to you know, a tree or stand next to the sun and out in the sun and get, get life. We eat. God created us to eat so that we would be dependent creatures on his good blessings, so that we would go to work in the world to grow our food and to buy our food. Hunger is a great motivator for all kinds of industry and work. So he made us hungry and he gives us food. This is a simple prayer. Give us this day our daily bread that expresses our dependence upon God to feed us. And think of all the, all the systems and all the processes that go into your ham sandwich or your, or your bologna or your uh, peanut butter and jelly or your, you know, your, your little peanut butter crackers. All the things that you, we just take for granted. It's like, oh, that's just a little thing. Think of the, the soil and the seeds and the fertilizer and the... And the, and the growth, the sun, and the rain, and the harvesting, and the transportation, and the way these things come from the field to our table, all of those processes. He, he, God holds off the devourer. He holds off the blight. He holds off the pest so that there can be a harvest. He blesses all the systems and all the operation and all the artistry that gets food from the field to our table. And when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we pray for his protection over all of that. Uh, and so we, we, we pray for his fatherly goodness in all things that are necessary to give us our daily bread. And we, and we pray, give us our daily bread so that we, we pray, just, just give me what I need for today. I can't sit here and conceive of everything that I will ever need. I can't pray for everything that I'm ever going to need. I, I can't even store up all the food that I'm going to need for the rest of my life. But I will pray that what I need today is provided for me. I'll be concerned about tomorrow's bread tomorrow. Please provide today's bread. Give me, give me my daily bread, please. Because it comes from your hand, I'm going to ask you for it, Father. I'm going to give you thanks for it. So we move from our physical needs uh, regarding bread to our relational needs. That second petition of the second little group 
says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I need to be forgiven because I've sinned against my heavenly father and I've broken covenant with him. I have debts that need to be forgiven. I have sinned against the people around me and I need to set that right as well. I acknowledge my sin. I confess it. I name it. I don't dance around it. I don't justify it. I don't excuse it. I don't identify myself by my sin. I ask for forgiveness. And then I turn around and I forgive others so that their relationships to me can be restored. I don't hold on to grudges. I don't nurse bitterness. I don't carry around old hurts and point out old scars and old war wounds, nor do I identify myself by the things that have been done to me. I learn by God's grace to let it all go because I have been forgiven. I can forgive. Jesus adds a little commentary on this petition after the prayer. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This is a prayer that ought to make our knees tremble a little bit. Every time we pray it, it ought to catch in our throat. It ought to be, be so cavalier when we say, Father, I want you to forgive me just like I forgive everybody else. Well, are you a forgiving person or are you a bitter person? Do you keep lists? Uh, do you keep uh, 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 litanies of offenses against other people? Well, you're asking God, well, forgive me, forgive me just like that. Treat me, Father, treat me like I treat other people. That is a, that is a fearful thing if, uh, if, if you're a bitter person. True forgiveness is a mark of those who've been forgiven. So we pray, Father, uh, 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 help me to forgive because I want your forgiveness so much and I need it. I need your forgiveness. So we ask that our physical needs be met. We ask for our daily bread. We ask that our relationships be restored. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then we ask for spiritual guidance in that final petition. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And we know that testing is good for us. Trials are good for us. It's through tests that we are trained and prepared for glory. We're matured. We grow through the Lord's testing. What we're praying for here is that through all of that, that we not be led into a situation where we're prone to the temptations of Satan. We're requesting of God in accordance with his will that we not be put in positions where we're easily tempted. We're asking him to preserve us from temptation and in the hour of testing that we would be delivered. Now, Jesus told his disciples in another place, he told them to pray this way. He said, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. This prayer makes us aware of the temptations of the evil one. This prayer makes us vigilant and, and open-eyed. Uh, this prayer makes us aware of the reality of Satan. And we pray that God's spirit would guide our steps throughout all of our lives. And we pray that we would follow his guidance, that we would be delivered from the devices of Satan, his mischief, his deception, as well as the evil in our hearts and the evil of other men. We're praying to be delivered from all evil. So those are the six petitions. And after these six petitions, the final phrase of the prayer is a statement of, of praise and rest and trust in our heavenly father. We trust, father, that you can answer all these prayers. Why? Well, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Everything belongs to our father and all the resources of the universe are at his disposal for him to answer any prayer that we have forever. 
It is all his. It is always all his. His hands are never tied. He never desires to do something for us that he just can't do. And knowing this, we rest in him and we rest and trust in his tender mercies. So knowing this then, knowing the the difficulty of prayer, knowing the challenge of focusing our thoughts, the, the difficulty of honing our words, of bearing our hearts and minds before the throne of God, the Lord Je- Jesus gives us pray- this prayer and he says, start here. This is where you start. Start by doing this. Address your father in heaven. You can do that. Your father sits at the helm of all creation. Your father in heaven has all the resources to answer your prayers, so address him. Praise his holy name. Hallowed be your name. Express your desire for the coming of his kingly rule. Your kingdom come. Ask that his will would be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. Ask for your daily bread. Ask for, t- for today's food and for your other physical needs. Confess your sins. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Ask for forgiveness. Pray to be reconciled to God and to other people. Beg for the strength to forgive the debts of other people and to put it all behind you. Pray that the Spirit would guide you, that he would lead you in the path of righteousness, protect you in your fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. Then rest in the fullness and might of your heavenly Father. You can do that. You can do that. You can pray that. You can pray that way. When you don't know how to pray, pray the Lord's Prayer. We've all memorized at least two different versions of it. I know you know it. We can can remember it. So pray a phrase or sing a phrase and let that be a prompt to more prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. What else do we have to ask for? What else do we have to say? Give us this day our daily bread. Well, Lord, thank you for feeding me today. Thank you that there's food in my refrigerator and food in my pantry and food in my deep freeze. Please continue to make the fields fruitful. Protect the farmers and the truck drivers and all the processes that bring food to my table. Please provide for my other physical needs as well. Preserve my strength so I can work for my family. Guard my job. Guard my employment. Bless my company. Keep us all healthy, we pray. Uh, And that's just, you just pack that in to give us this day our daily bread. See, once you start praying in these categories, you can just keep naming things that need to be prayed for and need to be requested all under that one heading, all under that one prompt. So we, we pray, forgive us our debts. Well, here are all the things I need to confess to you, Father, and all the things I need to be forgiven of. And then, as I forgive my debtors, here's, here are all the relationships in my life that aren't quite right. Here are the things that, that I need strength to do. Give me the strength, Father, to discipline my bitter heart and help me to put things right. Here are all the people who I love whose sins haven't been covered. Here, here are all those people who are indebted to you who haven't been forgiven. Father, give me the opportunities to preach the gospel to them and save them, Lord. I see, you don't run out of things to say easily if you use the Lord's prayer. If you don't have a regular habit of prayer, now many of you do, many of you are are mature and well-practiced and well-seasoned in the art and the discipline of prayer. But if, you, if that's not you if, you, if you struggle, if you feel like you're in strange territory when you pray, if you don't have a regular habit of prayer, find some time each day. Maybe it's before your feet hit the floor. Maybe it's before you close your eyes at night. Some point of the day, 
begin with this prayer. If you struggle with prayer, begin with this prayer. If you don't know what else to say, or you can't find the mental focus or the strength, pray this. And we're not praying this like the pagans. We're not praying it vainly. We're not just reciting the words, but we're praying it in faith. We're focusing our heart in trust on the God who answers these prayers. Know what you're saying. Know the God that you're speaking to. And gradually work on building out that prayer. Can you pray for five straight minutes without distraction? Is that possible? I know it's hard sometimes. You got to put the phone on silent. You got to close the computer. And then you pray. You say, I'm just going to pray for five minutes. I'm not going to do anything else. But in the next five minutes, I'm going to pray. And pray the Lord's Prayer and then expand on it. Or take a psalm and expand on a psalm. Pray a line of the psalm and then expand on that with your own thoughts and reflections. Can, can, you, can you start praying for 10 minutes a day? You pray for, pray for five minutes a day and then, and, then, and then spread it out. Pray for five in the morning and five at night. Can you commit yourself to growing in the discipline of prayer so that you may deepen your relationship with your creator, so that you may align your desires with his will, so that you can align your thoughts with him, so that he will hear all of our prayers together. He delights to answer our prayers. He invites us to talk to him. What is it that we don't have because we haven't asked for it? Um, so make prayer a priority, an indispensable part of your day. Lloyd-Jones was right, and I agree with him. Everything we do in the Christian life is easier than prayer. But like all good and difficult things, we don't grow except by practice. You gotta practice. You gotta commit yourself by disciplining our hearts and minds in the direction of glorifying God in this way. Prayer pleases him. I want to please him. Therefore, I want to get better at praying. I want to do this. I want to improve. I want to grow. I want to mature. And Jesus shows us the way with his prayer. So let's pray together now. Father in heaven, we thank you for this prayer our Lord gave us. So through this and by the leadership of your Holy Spirit, Lord, teach us to pray. Stir up our hearts, stir up our desires so that we may desire to talk to you, to bring to you our petitions, our supplications, our thanksgivings, our praises. So fill us with your spirit and guide us into prayer and hear us when we call on your name. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.